podcast listeners, welcome to the NK News Podcast. I'm your host, Jacko Zwetslut, and today it is Tuesday, April 11, 2023. I'm joined in the NK News studio by Mr. Om Teho, who is Director for North Korean Nuclear Affairs Negotiations at the South Korean Ministry of Foreign Affairs to talk about diplomacy and North Korean denuclearization. Uh, but first, a request and reminder, everyone, please leave a review about this episode on whatever platform you use and share this episode with everyone you think who should listen to it or who might be interested. What's more, like and subscribe to the whole series. Secondly, you can check out nknews.org, where every day my journalist colleagues put out the best quality North Korea-focused journalism, where a subscription for a year costs less than a dollar a day, and that helps to fund this podcast as well as the journalistic work that we do. Thirdly, follow nknews.org on Twitter and me at JackoZ. Okay, so to introduce our guest today more fully, Mr. Teho Om, or Om Teho, is the Director for North Korean Nuclear Affairs Negotiations at the Office of the Korean Peninsula Peace and Security Affairs in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. He has held that position since August 2021. He's a career diplomat who joined the ministry in August 2005. From 2016 to 2018, he served as Assistant Secretary to the President for National Security Strategy at the Office of National Security. He doesn't have a Twitter account, but you can find the Ministry of Foreign Affairs at MOFA, K-R, underbar, E-N-G, and we'll share that link in the show notes. Welcome on the show, Director Om. Thank you for having me. Okay, so uh, Director Om, can you give me your uh, assessment on where are things right now? Where do things stand with regard to North Korean denuclearization? Thank you. So I want to look at it like three from three uh, angles. Number one, so we coined the term MBA. So number one is the M stands for muddling through. Uh, we see that North Korea is undergoing a very uh, dire uh, situation. It, as state media said, it is undergoing the worst national crisis, which is in Korean is Chete Kungnan. And also, foreign exchange reserve is uh, continuously diminishing. It is, uh, for the last two years, the economy has suffered uh, minus growth rates. And it is, significantly, uh, it is suffering from a significant shortage of uh, grains. And Recently, there has been tragic reports about people starving to death mm -hmm. in North Korea, too. So well, what they're trying to do is they're trying their best to import as much grain as possible from uh, China uh, because the, currently the grain prices in North Korea is uh, skyrocketing. And also, they are turning more and more to illicit sources of revenues, including cyber hacking and uh, sending of overseas, uh, using the overseas workers and ship-to-ship uh, -ship transfers. And uh, recently I saw a, a very good article at the, on the NK News about possible arms sales mm -hmm. uh, to other countries too. So they're trying to hang in there uh, in spite of the uh, difficult situation. Now, instead of opening up the economy and trying to adopt some economic reform measures, the second approach that they're taking is they are bullying the neighbors. Okay, so this is the B in India. Yeah, NBA, this is, is the B. Yeah. Okay. They're trying to inject fear. Mm -hmm. And we all know this because we know that the North Koreans have conducted unprecedented level of uh, missile provocations since last year, almost 90 ballistic missiles, including eight ICBMs. Yeah. And they are disclosing all sorts of uh, new weapon systems, including the underwater nuclear attack drones. They have disclosed their new uh, tactical nuclear warheads, and they talk about mass production of uh, tactical, nu tactical nukes. And just this morning, they, they held this uh, Central Mil Military Commission meeting, and 
uh, Kim Jong was standing there, pointing at a certain position in ROK, mm-hmm. uh, talking about their uh, operational plans. So this is all aimed at trying to inject fear and to bully the international community. And the th- where was he pointing to? Do you know? Um, I won't elaborate, but if you see the photo, mm-hmm. it's pretty evident where he is pointing at. Okay. Yeah. Is he, it near here? <laughs> I, I won't elaborate. All right. It, not, not, it, it was not Seoul, but okay. it was pointing at a certain position. And the A stands for like appeasing mm-hmm. or uh, allaying the concerns of its people. So back in 2012, when uh, Kim Jong-un first uh, took power, he promised his people that you know, his people would never have to tighten their belts again. Mm. But you know, obviously we know that he failed to deliver. And now the rhetoric has changed. So what they're saying is, in our generation, we might have to tighten our belts, but we will make sure that the future generation will not have to do that. And he is uh, saying that the regime is saying that the nuclear weapons is the means to bring that about. And I think bringing Kim Jue out as a means... This is the young daughter. Yes, the young young daughter, as a uh, kind of means of propaganda. I think it is uh, part of it is to... Show and linking her, you know, with the ICBMs mm-hmm. and the nuclear weapons, trying to do that. I think it's trying to kind of it's a um, kind of a way of propaganda, saying that you know all these weapons is for the next generation. Um, and at the same time, he's trying to shift the blame to others. He's the North Koreans are basically blaming everybody, the RK, the U.S., Japan, even the United Nations, for you know, what is the, for the dire situation in North Korea. But uh, this is obviously for their internal purposes to appease their people. So um, that's our assessment of where North Korea is going. So uh, It's not good, basically. It's, it's just not good. Right. And they're not showing any signs of coming back to dialogue. They seem just no, not interested. Right, that way we, I think we reported on that uh, uh, yesterday at NK News that mm. North Korea um, is not answering the hotline. Um, mm. Which is not good for, for any kind of talks. It's not good at all. Not no. good at all. And uh, I think, you know, uh, maintaining communication is, is just fundamental in any uh, relations. And we're very worried about it. And we, we really urge North Korea to uh, restore that line of communication. So what we're trying to do is just keep calm and press on with our 3D approach. We, we have emphasized this over and over. It is to deter North Korea's uh, threats and to dissuade their nuclear and missile program development, and to leave the door to dialogue and diplomacy open. Okay, so these are the three Ds, right? Yes. Deter, dissuade, and and dialogue. Yes, dialogue and diplomacy. Is that that basically a summary of President Yoon Sung-yeol's policy towards uh, North Korean denuclearization? Yes, right now, the the approach that we are taking currently, Mm -hmm. this is basically aimed at showing North Korea that there is no other way to achieve whatever objective that they would have other than, you know, coming back to uh, negotiations. So by showing them that our robust deterrence capabilities and bolstering our trilateral security cooperation with the U.S. and Japan, Mm -hmm. and also dissuasion efforts, you know, by responding firmly to their provocations and also cutting off their uh, illicit revenue sources. And then, but at the same time, leaving the dialogue, a uh, door to dialogue open. By that, we're trying to show the North Koreans that this is the right path that they should take. Now, generally, I'm just, 
I mean, North Korea doesn't use these words, but generally uh, efforts to deter or dissuade, uh, North Korea says, are things that actually close the door to dialogue, right? Uh, that when it wants dialogue, it, it doesn't want uh, deterrence or dissuasion uh, tactics used against it. So uh, I'm just wondering, is there a tension between those three Ds, between deterrence and dissuasion on the one hand and dialogue on the other? That's a very good question, but I would have to defer on that because... We think uh, really the deterrence, the whole purpose of deterrence and dissuasion is to bring them back to dialogue. Because at the end of the day, you know, we're not going to, the only viable path to complete denuclearization of North Korea is through diplomacy and dialogue and negotiations. And deterrence is to show that developing nuclear weapons is not going to bring them the security that they desire. And also dissuasion is that they might try their efforts to evade sanctions, but we're going to show them that the international community, the willingness of the international community to denuclearize, denuclearize North Korea is going to be anytime, it's always going to be greater than the North Korea's nuclear ambitions. That's the whole purpose of our dissuasion efforts. And that is why that the, all those efforts is geared towards bringing North Korea back to the dialogue table. How does the current policy of uh, President Yoon Sun yeol differ significantly from uh, President Moon's policy of denuclearization of North Korea? I think that is, uh, when we talk about, I, I think the best way for me to explain that is to talk about the audacious initiative mm -hmm. that my uh, president announced on the Independence Day. Of, okay. uh, and what's that in a nutshell? What is the audacious initiative? So the audacious initiative, in a nutshell, is our, the Yoon Suk-yeol government's denuclearization roadmap. And the title, uh, the subtitle of the audacious initiative is the Denuclearized, uh, Peaceful, and Prosperous Korean Peninsula. And while uh, pursuing a uh, negotiation process for complete denuclearization, uh, we are offering corresponding measures not just the economic ones, but political, military, and economic corresponding measures to the denuclearization that North Korea uh, will be taking. Now, I think one of the significant difference features, I guess, of the Audacious Initiative, uh, I would like to emphasize like two points. First of all, Audacious Initiative has measures that we can put in place from right now. Mm. Now, I've as I've been working on the North Korean nuclear issue for quite some time, uh, around like 15 years, oh. and uh, I've been involved in developing a lot of denuclearization roadmap. But in the past, most of the roadmap would the start by the freezing measures of uh, North Korea's nuclear program. So no more tests and no more new weapons. And you know, freezing of Yongbyon facilities and all okay. other facilities, a complete freeze of the, and then you know we will give something back for the freeze and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. But what we did from or what we did with the Audacious Initiative, we, we tried to have a comprehensive roadmap that puts in place what we can do right now, where North Korea is continuing with its nuclear development, refusing to come to dialogue. Then what can we do? Mm. And that's where the three D approach comes in. And we have kind of like laid out in this audacious initiative what we can do right now to bring North Korea back to the negotiating table and show them that this is the only choice uh, in front of them. And also, secondly, it has, for example, in the past, some of the uh, denuclearization roadmap has focused too much on the economic measures as corresponding measures. But now this is, I got to say, this is a denuclearization roadmap, which means 
this is our plan to sit down with North Korea and negotiate the denuclearization of North Korea. So I cannot reveal all the details of this audacious initiative, but mm-hmm. then I can say that it encompasses not just economic corresponding measures, but political and military measures. My president already has mentioned about it includes measure to about the normalization of uh, relations between the U.S. and North Korea, mm-hmm. and also uh, some military uh, uh, confidence-building measures that we have put in place in the Audacious Initiative. And also, one more thing to highlight is that we have put in features. We call it the initial phase uh, measures. Th- that would kind of provide the momentum for the negotiation process itself. So one of the key features is the RFEP. We call it the RFEP. It is Resources for Food Exchange Program. Now, what we have designed in this RFEP program is that we would be willing to work with the international communities to provide the necessary sanctions exemption measures to allow for North Korea to export its uh, mineral uh, resources Mm -hmm. in exchange for not cash, but food, medicine, and items of such sort. And that we would put the, uh, the funds in an escrow account, and then you know North Korea can uh, export their uh, mineral resources in exchange for the food and medicine. So we, we hope this will provide the momentum that will keep the arduous, uh, you know, the kind of, not arduous, uh, the negotiation process ongoing until we reach a, uh, an agreement on the complete denuclearization of North Korea. This program you just uh, mentioned here, the RFEP, is that something that can be done before North Korea comes back to the negotiating table? I don't think anything can be done, you know, um, okay. if, if North Korea does not come back to the table. So, ah. I mean, they have to, you know, for something to be implemented, we mm. need to talk to North Korea. Okay. And we need to discuss and negotiate, you know, the, the details of it for it to be implemented. But what we are saying is that we want to show North Korea to take a good look mm-hmm. at this initiative. Right. You know, so, so when you say that there are things that we can implement right now, you mean mm. as soon as North Korea starts dialogue again, that, that's the right now that we're talking about? Uh, no, 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 no. no. So those are two different oh, things. I see. So like, when I say right now, yeah. it's what we can do, what right. Korea can do, what the international community can do, and what the Iraq, U.S., you know, Japan, our like-minded groups can mm-hmm. do right now. Even so, before North Korea says, let's talk again. Because if North Korea does not come back to the table, yeah. you know, we're limited in what we can do. Right. But so we have put in place what we can do yep. you know, as an alliance, uh, as the, our, the RK government, what we can do right now. Yep. But then once they do come back to the table with sincerity, what we're saying is that we have these measures in place mm-hmm. and we want North Korea to really have a good look and, you know, assess it rather than just rejecting it. Because my president was inaugurated on the 10th of May, right? And it's almost a year ago. Yeah, it's almost a year ago, right? And then the date that we announced this audacious initiative is the 15th of August, just three months after inauguration. And I I think this is really, I'm pretty sure this is unprecedented. Mm. And I think that is kind of like, it really speaks volumes about the sincerity and the willingness of my government to really engage in this process and, you know, negotiate with the North Koreans. And I think uh, we want North Koreans to see that. Now, sadly, mm. uh, Kim Yo-jong is- issued a statement just four days after the announcement of the audacious initiative to rejected it. But we really urge them to take a good look and consider coming back to the dialogue table. Yes, and that is uh, indeed the long-standing problem is that North Korea has shown an unwillingness to talk to either South Korea or the United States 
since 2020, there really hasn't been much going on between the two Koreas, especially after North Korea blew up the inter-Korean liaison building uh, in Kaesong. Well, first question is, I know there are some things that are done behind the scenes that we, we can't possibly know about, but what can you tell us about ways that the South Korea, the ROC government has reached out to, uh, to try to begin conversations with North Korea? Has, has President Yoon sent a letter or uh, you know, has there been anything sent to the office, uh, the North Korean mission to the United Nations? What are some of the different ways that we've tried to get the negotiations talk, uh, happening again? Basically, I think the communication right now is very limited because... I think we, the international community, you, me, everybody, is in agreement that North Korea is showing no signs of, I mean, showing no appetite mm. for dialogue. And when the other side is showing no appetite for dialogue, you, you can, there's only a certain amount of things that you can do. And uh, we are not chasing after them. So we are going to be consistent and principled in our approach. So that is our approach. So it's not less, I don't think sending a letter or anything like that would make any situation different. So what we're trying to do is, again, I'm going back to the 3D approach. We're, we're really showing them that, okay, you, you are refusing dialogue. You are just, you know, draining all your scarce resources in your nuclear and missile programs. Then we're going to show you that is, that, that is not going to get you anywhere. You know, that is not going to be, uh, you know, effective in achieving your goals. You know, the only way that you can achieve the desired objective for your people is to come back to the negotiation table. Okay, so as I understand it, then the, the, really, the only realistic scenario for revival of the negotiations is when North Korea sends a message that it's ready to talk again. Well, I, I will not try to predict, you know, how this would all come about. But right, I, but you're not going to chase them. No. You put the word out, we're ready to talk. So now it's up to North. The ball's in their, in their court, basically. You know, I'm pretty sure yeah. that they follow every reporting of NK News, uh, Yonhap News, mm -hmm. and everything. And I'm sure they are very following very closely the messages put out by my president, by my foreign minister, and the special representative. They are very well aware where we are. And uh, we, I think we are clearly... Uh, communicating to them, you know, the, uh, our government's positions. In the view of the Republic of Korea government, what went wrong the last time there was negotiations with uh, between North Korea and the outside world? Uh, you mean the Hanoi? Uh, yes. So, well, in that, that, not specifically in Hanoi, but in that process, that time there, 2018 to 2019, what went wrong? Why did that not go any further? Okay. Um, basically, I think, you know, it was the limits of the top-down process. So... You know, when a summit meeting happens, uh, let's say, you know, we're preparing right now for our ROC US summit meeting, right? Yeah. There has to be so, there is so much work going on in order to ensure a successful summit. You know, there are many things to discuss in advance in order for the leaders to sit down and really derive a concrete outcome. Mm -hmm. Now, that process basically did not exist in the summit diplomacy between, you know, that happened in 2018 and 19. So when, like, the talks collapsed in 2019, I think it really showed the limits of, you know, a top-down approach. And I don't think Kim Jong-un was really ready for what the international community, the U.S., uh, really needed to ensure uh, the path to uh, complete denuclearization uh, of North Korea. Now, you've been working on North Korean affairs for a long time now. You said, what, 15 years or so? Yeah. Okay. So it, it doesn't it seem to you that 
talking with North Korea or negotiating with North Korea or engaging with North Korea, it's a, basically a cycle of stop, start, stop, start over many years, right? That we talk with them for a while and then it somehow fizzles out. There was a six-party talks and then that stopped and then we had the talks between Trump and Kim and then that stopped. It, it, it just seems to be a stop-start process all the time. How is there a way to avoid that? Is there a way to, uh, to, to somehow keep North Korea engaged? I think that is, what the, that is the intention of uh, the Audacious Initiative, and that is the thinking behind our crafting of the denuclearization roadmap. Because, um, like you said, let's say we're like driving from New York to Los Angeles, and Los Angeles uh, stands for Complete Denuclearization of North Korea. We have, in the past, some of the uh, approaches that were tried is that, okay, we will we'll get to uh, Chicago, and then once we get to Chicago, then we will talk about how we're going to get to the next destination, maybe Las Vegas, you know, somewhere closer to Los Angeles. But then our past experience in negotiating with North Korea really shows us that that type of step-by-step negotiations really would not work. That has been our past experience. Mm. So what we're trying to do is we want to, the, uh, we want to set the destination of our GPS to Los Angeles. And we want to keep the car moving all the time. We want North Korea, ROK, all you know, in the car to stay in the car until we get to Los Angeles. Yeah. And uh, I'm not going to go details, but that is the basic idea of you know, our audacious initiative. And that's why we have t- tried to design a different process, a different roadmap compared to the past negotiations. Okay, but sticking with your initiative there, the, uh, the very long road trip from New York to Los Angeles, it seems to me that a problem there is that North Korea has said very clearly, we don't want to go to Los Angeles. Mm. Los Angeles is not a place that we ever intend to go to, not in this lifetime. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it makes me wonder, well, um, what would happen if the world simply accepted that and said, well, North Korea is not going to go to Los Angeles? In other words, North Korea is a nuclear power. We simply accept that and we move on. What would happen? That the- would not happen. Uh, okay. And I would, I can assure you that it is not going to happen. I think this is a collision of wills. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think my president has made it clear that the whole the point and the whole objective and focus of our efforts is to make sure that North Korea realize that the will uh, of the international community to denuclearization, the denuclearized North Korea, is going to, big, going to be stronger and bigger than North Korea's nuclear ambitions. Because denuclearization, you know, a peace without denuclearization is bound to be fake peace. And that is why uh, North Korea, you know, um, what North Korea is trying to do right now, that has been their whole objective all all along for the last 30 years in developing their nuclear weapons. They have, the reality is that their development of nuclear weapons has uh, deteriorated their um, economy. Uh, it has undermined their security, and it has aggravated their isolation. But they're trying to hide that, and they're trying to inject fear in the international community and try to sow nervousness in our international community to, to, in order to make their possession of nuclear weapons a fait accompli. But the whole point of our efforts of 3D is to show that that is not going to happen in a million years. And once we... Uh, if the international community stands united and, and we show that that will not be the case, I think North Korea will have no choice but to come back to denuclearization talks. 
or uh, to go back to the analogy, get in the car and agree to go to Los Angeles. Uh, now, of course, relations between North Korea and South Korea and North Korea and the United States don't exist in a, in a geopolitical vacuum, just as going back to the road trip, there are a lot of cars on the road all going different places. Here we have in, in uh, Northeast Asia, there are a lot of serious challenges that involve, uh, for example, the People's Republic of China, the East and South China Seas, Japan, the Philippines, Taiwan. Can you sort of speak a little bit to uh, how does the, the government of the the Republic of Korea try to balance multiple geopolitical issues while also focusing on North Korean denuclearization at the same time. Mm. Where does this fit in that context more broadly? I think the, what we need to emphasize here is that amid uh, this uh, poly crisis world and amid a lot of geopolitical competitions, I really want to emphasize that North Korean nuclear issue is maybe the one clear issue where all the interests of the, all the relevant parties align. And I think that is, uh, the proof of that is that the US, China, Russia, and all the Security Council members have unanimously agreed uh, to adopt the security, 11 Security Council resolutions that call for complete, irreversible, and verifiable uh, abandonment of their WMD and ballistic missile programs. And I think that is the focus, uh, that I think we have to focus on that. You know? And I think, you know, this is going to provide an opportunity, even an opportunity for us to cooperate, even amidst all this competition, geopolitical competitions. And that is our, um, you know, as a person, uh, you know, uh, dealing with the North Korean nuclear issue, that is the approach that we're taking. Now, uh, recently, the uh, People's Republic of China got involved in international diplomacy by brokering a rapprochement between the Islamic Republic of Iran and the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Could Beijing maybe take on the problem of North Korean denuclearization and lead the way in finding a solution here? Um, I won't make any predictions, but as I said, I, I believe there is, uh, we, we share the, uh, the interest in um, pursuing complete denuclearization of North Korea. And I think we, are, we have been encouraging uh, China to play a constructive role to that end. Mm to persuade uh, North Korea to seize its provocations, to induce North Korea back to the uh, de uh, dialogue table. And China it itself has been emphasizing that point. And I believe China really has the ability and the influence needed to play that role. So uh, we always encourage uh, China to play a constructive role to that end. Are there any early signs that China is listening to your persuasion? At various levels, you know, my foreign minister and uh, my uh, special rep, we uh, regularly contact uh, the Chine uh, Chinese. Obviously, we don't agree on everything. Mm -hmm. That is pretty evident. But then we do agree that I think we, we all agree that, you know, uh, North Korea's fur further escalation uh, of North Korea's provocative behavior is not desirable. And that, and, uh, you know, it would be desirable to have North Korea back to the uh, uh, negotiating table. But as we said earlier, North Korea has not shown any signs of, how should I put it, um, showing a positive attitude. So mm -hmm. we have some limits. But then we continue to have our conversations with the Chinese. Now, these days, there's a lot of discussion in media, academia, think tanks and other public fora about South Korea maybe having nu U.S. nuclear weapons stationed on its territory once more or maybe even developing its own nuclear weapons. Uh, President Yoon himself mentioned it in January this year. 
what is the official policy of the Republic of Korea on nuclear weapons either stationed in or possessed by uh, the Republic of Korea? Well, I think my president has made it very clear that we have confidence in the U.S. extended deterrence. We also have, are having very close consultation and uh, coordination with the U.S. on how to strengthen the effectiveness of uh, the U.S. Ex extended deterrence. And um, my government has repeatedly made clear about our strong commitment to uphold the NPT regime. So all in all, I think there is no question about the direction and the policies of my government. Now, there is talk about uh, some, you know, the, the need for, uh, you know, the public you know, opinion about the need to, you know, have our own nuclear weapons. Uh, that opinion is there. But, you know, what we have to see with those numbers is not whether or not South Korea is going to go nuclear. It's just uh, we need to see how the, the seriousness the Korean public feels about the threats that North Korea is making, you know, by uh, talking about preemptive tactical nuclear strike on Korea. So it is a sign that we have to take this threat seriously and we have to, uh, the alliance has to bolster our uh, readiness and we have to strengthen our trilateral coor uh, coordination. Is, and that should be the focus of our discussion. If there were nuclear weapons here in South Korea, would that make South Korea more or less safe? I, I wouldn't go there because that is not our, not our policy. Okay. Uh, now, because North Korea is not seen by South Korea as a separate country, but as an integral part of the full territory of the Republic of Korea, there is a separate ministry that deals with North Korean issues, namely the Ministry of Unification. And now, it's coordination between the Ministry of Unification and your own ministry, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, seems like a can be sometimes a delicate operation. Uh, I remember during President Moon Jae-in's term, it, it felt like the MOU was shut out of some of those negotiations and talks with North Korea. So you're in office. Now, how does your office, the Office of the Korean Peninsula Peace and Security Affairs, coordinate with counterparts at the Ministry of Unification and the Ministry of National Defense? H how is that division of labor? Hmm. I think the, our coordination is great. And the, I think the proof is that you know when we were actually writing uh, the Audacious Initiative, we had our division of labor in that. So the NSC played a coordinating role. The National Security Council. Yes, mm -hmm. the, uh, played a coordinating role. And this is a, a denuclearization roadmap. So obviously, my foreign ministry took a very big part in come up, coming up with the, the contents of the Audacious Initiative. But then, you know, it all includes the economic corresponding measures of that, and also the military and the, uh, the you know, confidence building measures and so on and so forth. So that's where the MND comes in. That's where the MOU comes in. The foreign ministry. We will sit down together, you know, very very often, and then we would, you know, put our heads together to come up with a common plan. And that is the product that we have, which is the audacious initiative. So I'm very proud of. You know, we communicate very often. We hold meetings. You know, we meet separately. You know, in official meetings. So I do not see you. You called it delicate, but I don't. I don't see it as a delicate relationship. Okay. Earlier, you mentioned the, uh, the possibility of, uh, of North Korea and uh, the United States normalizing their relations as being you know, somewhere down the track, a possible outcome of, uh, of successful negotiations. Is it ever possible that the two Koreas could mutually recognize and have normal relations with each other? Well, state-to-state um, -state relations. Yeah, uh, some are down the road. But I, I really think denuclearization uh, has to be at the center of all that discussion. Because, like I said, 
I, I want to uh, tell you our the policy goal, the, our government's policy goal. We say uh, we pursue sustainable peace on the Korean Peninsula through complete denuclearization of North Korea. Now, it is not and, it is through. So that basically sums up our thinking, you know, because sustainable, in mm -hmm. order for peace on the Korean Peninsula to be su sustainable, it ha the denuclearization has to be there. So for whatever, you know, corresponding measures, whether it be economic, political, or military, I think, like, the denuclearization is the fundamental condition that has to be met. In 2018, a uh, U.S. ROK working group was launched to coordinate North Korea sanctions and other matters. So is this working group still actively meeting? Uh, no, we don't have a you know, working group uh, you know, named after that, but we have consultations at you know, very, every level, literally. Mm -hmm. But uh, that specific uh, format is, is not here. Ah. Now, as the United States is a treaty ally of the Republic of Korea, one might expect that coordinating with it on matters related to North Korea uh, could be fairly easy. But of course, every different country has its own interests and priorities to protect and promote. So how is the South, the South Korean government handling that challenge of, uh, of coordinating things together with the United States? Well, I, I could not ask for a better partnership right now. Um, and... Like my special rep said, um, Representative Ambassador Kim Gunn said at his uh, opening statement uh, last week at a trilateral meeting, they literally coordinate every on a, on a daily basis, and, you know. And I think North Korea is helping uh, in a sense because they have over ninety ballistic missiles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like you know, every time that they do that, so we we get together to put our heads together uh, to share the assessment, share the information, and consult the way forward and. You know, on top of that, we have our regular trilateral meetings, bilateral meetings. So the coordination is just, just uh, I think, like top, like top notch. And I think I could not, uh, I, it's amazing how uh, aligned we are when it comes to our policies vis-a-vis uh, -vis, uh, North Korea. Now, as you know, of course, North Korea sometimes likes to, uh, or it seems, who can know their intentions, but it does seem that North Korea wants to drive a wedge between South Korea and the United States at times, but... Uh, they always do, yeah. If, if, if as you say, uh, increased activity by North Korea see, uh, serves to drive the two countries together, the United States and South Korea, then the only way that North Korea could, or the best way for North Korea to drive a wedge between you two is to do nothing and remain quiet. <laughs> In a sense. You know, I, I could maybe... I want to, you know, um, use this example. So, if you remember when my president traveled to uh, Japan very recently, yes. it was a, a historic trip. Yep. On that same day, in the morning, very early in the morning, they uh, launched an ICBM into, uh, into the our, uh, East Sea. Now, they might have thought that would send a strong message and that would kind of complicate the situation, but... In fact, what it did was really it provided the rationale mm. for further strengthening our coordination with Japan when it comes to countering North Korea's nuclear threats and really bolstering our trilateral security cooperation. So, you know, they, they have their own intentions, but I think, you know, the more they provocate, the more threats that they make, that is, you know, that is only making our defense, our combined defense posture, that our security cooperation is stronger and stronger. And that is what we mean by saying that their nuclear weapons development only ends up in undermining their own security. Now, some critics argue that South Korea is not an equal alliance partner of the U.S., but a kind of 
subordinate vassal state or a weaker partner. And I wonder how you respond to that. How much agency does the Republic of Korea have to, to lead the way and to act? What do you mean, what do you mean by how much agency? Uh, well, when I say agency, I mean how much uh, decision-making power does South Korea have uh, you know, to, to pursue its own course in uh, leading the way in denuclearization? Or does, you know, d- does every time uh, President Yoon have an idea, does he have to check with the White House first to make sure that it's okay? You know, we, we, I told you about our close coordination yep. and the almost on a daily basis communication and our policies being aligned. And that is what we say when we, uh, that is the approach that the alliance is taking. It is not somebody, one side kind of, you know, having their own way to the other. It's not a competition. You know, we have, our policies, goals are aligned. Our assessment is aligned. So we might have some discussions about the details, the concrete steps that we would take, the first step, the second step, the third step. We might have our discussions on that. But then we are completely aligned on how we view the situation and where we're going, uh, the objective of our path. So I I think in that sense, I do not see uh, any of the uh, issues that you have just raised. Okay. Apart from the United States, there are, of course, other regions, uh, sorry, other countries in the region, uh, China, Russia, Japan, all have a, a stake and an interest in seeing sustainable regional peace in Northeast Asia. Uh, and I'm wondering, since the, the six-party talks framework has been inactive since North Korea pulled out of it, actually this month in April 20, uh, 2009, 14 years ago this week, uh, North Korea pulled out of that. So how does South Korea coordinate with, uh, with China, Russia, and Japan? Hmm, that's a very good question. Um, and I, there's a point that I want to emphasize. Obviously, Japan, I already talked about a lot. You know, mm. we have our, you know, just last week, you know, we had our great, it was a very successful trilateral meeting. And uh, we also uh, issued a joint statement about the importance of uh, fully implementing the UN Security Council resolutions. And, you know, also right now, Japan uh, is serving on the uh, Security Council. And uh, we are hoping to join the Security Council next year, and that you know, we have so many opportunities and so many reasons why we need to we we need to coordinate uh, when it comes to countering North Korea's nuclear threats. So that is that. Now, China and Russia, we know that there is geopolitical competition, or however you want mm-hmm. I can put it, and there's a war going on, uh, you know, yeah. uh, you know, by Russia and Ukraine, and that really limits the communication and in consultation uh, between some of the members of the six-party talks. But in, in that dynamics, I think Korea is pretty much the only player who regularly communicates with all of the partners, obviously the, all of the five yeah. parties. So we, my, uh, we have our consultations with the Russian. We have our regular consultations with the Chinese. You know, my SR met with his Russian counterpart at the, you know, on the sidelines of the G20 meeting, so on and so forth. And I think that is, in that way, Korea is playing a very valuable role in, you know, continuing the consultations, maintaining the communications regarding the North Korea policy issue. And we are going to continue to do that to really encourage, uh, when it comes to the, our trilateral coordination, to strengthen our cooperation and to be more aligned but with uh, China and Russia to really encourage them to play a constructive role when it comes to and focus on our you know, mutual interest uh, when it comes to the North Korean nuclear issue. Could a revived six-party talks uh, framework be a, a potential format for uh, going ahead with uh, denuclearization negotiations? 
I think there could be um, like could be any format, but mm-hmm. um, I think we have made clear that we're ta- we are the door to dialogue remains open, and we are ready to talk. You know, anytime, anywhere. So I don't want to limit any, you know, make any predictions about the format. But I think you know, what is important is for North Korea to realize that that is the only path forward, and to come back to the negotiation table. Now, some people might get the idea that as director for North Korea nuclear affairs negotiations, that since North Korea is not negotiating, you don't have much to do these days. But I imagine you're probably quite busy. Mm, yes. Give us a little bit of a sketch <laughs> of what, what, what do you do on a day-to-day basis? Okay. What's that like? Yeah, yeah of course. Uh, we, I'm, I'm, I'm in charge of like, negotiating with North Korea. But there's so much work to do uh, even when North Korea does not come back to the dialogue table. And that is what I, I mentioned about the international, making sure that the international community shows mm. North Korea that their common will to denuclearize North Korea is going to be always stronger and uh, bigger than their ambi- nuclear ambitions. And that is pretty much, that sums up the work that I do. There are the, this coalition building, the building of the solidarity yeah. of the international community and preparing for negotiations and having a detailed plan, uh, always being ready for negotiations, it's, it's a lot of work. Now, uh, previously, you were Assistant Secretary to President Moon Jae-in for National Security Strategy at the Office of National Security. Are you able to share anything about that experience or a look back on, on that now? It is actually, um, I joined the President's Office uh, in 2016. Mm. Until oh, and I time. worked there until 2018. Wow! So it's like a half and half. Uh, so, so I had like half of my experience with the, was with the Pakistan administration, ah. and half of it was was with the Moon Jae-in administration in the president's office. Right. It's a rare experience. Yeah. But then, what I do want to emphasize is that no matter what administration it is, our commitment to complete denuclearization of North Korea is the same across the administration. So this is a goal that Korea will never give up. And I, you know, and uh, that, yeah, that is my experience coming out of working in the different administrations on this North Korean nuclear issue. This year marks 70 years since the armistice agreement was signed that put the Korean war on long-term pause. It doesn't seem that we are any closer to a permanent solution or agreement between the two Koreas right now. So speaking for yourself as a Korean and not in your official government capacity, where would you like to see North Korean nuclear affairs negotiations in a year's time? In a year? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I would obviously want them to come back to the negotiation table. It really helps no one to make this provocation. And it always saddens me. I, I sometimes, you know, it, it really gives me bad dream to think about North Korea draining all the scarce resources that it has, refusing to receive any humanitarian aid from the international community. And, you know, and to think about the dire human rights and humanitarian situation in North Korea, and to see the North Korean regime just focus on developing its North, uh, nuclear and missile programs, it is just tragic. So what I would really like to see in a year's time is to, to see the North Korean regime realize that you know this is not going to get them uh, anywhere. We, you know, my SR in the last meeting, special in, representative ambassador yes, my Kim Gon. Special re- yes, <laughs> special representative ambassador Kim Gon. He emphasized, uh, you know, last week in our trilateral meeting, in his opening remarks, that North Korea is trying to 
make misguide as people to believe that that their North Korean nuclear weapons is a some sort of a magic wand that can you know deliver anything. But in reality, it is not. It is only a self-destructive boomerang. That that's what he said, and we really want them to uh, you know realize that and come back to the denuclearization table to seek prosperity for their for their people. And if that happens, if North Korea does come back to negotiations, would you actually would you be one of the people in the room meeting with North Koreans? I hope so. Yeah. And are you ready for that? Yes. Yeah. Of course. All right. Well, we wish you good luck with that. Thank you very much. Om Ho, Director of North Korean Affairs Negotiations, not North Korean Nuclear Affairs <laughs> Negotiations. That's a long title. At the <laughs> Office of the Korean Peninsula Peace and Security Affairs in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Thank you for joining me on the show today. Thank you for having me. Ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to the end of this episode. If you already have an NK News account, and if you're a think tank, business, or academic institution, check out NK Pro. Our NK Pro platform offers unparalleled services specifically catered to the needs of professionals who monitor developments on the Korean Peninsula. In fact, I believe the Ministry of Foreign Affairs is an NK Pro subscriber. Yes. Inquire about access or a free trial membership by writing an email to membership at nknews.org today. Our thanks, as always, go to Brian Betts and Arias Dare for facilitating this episode and to our post-recording producer genius, Gabby Magnuson, who cuts out all the extraneous noises, awkward silences, bodily functions, etc. Thank you very much for listening again next time. 